recognize uh, that you are enough and uh, what a great what a great reminder to us uh, that it's really about uh, the Christian life is really about surrendering uh, about surrendering to you and recognizing that that when we do that that you give us so much freedom and you get you give us uh, so much hope that that we need and father we thank you for for just reminding us of that today and father too t right now as we share uh, in our offering as we share in the things that you've given to us I, I um, just a reminder uh, today after our service if uh, you are in need of uh, some kind of prayer I would like uh, you know, uh, Joe or, or Dave or myself or somebody else from the congregation to come up and to share uh, some prayer with you Ruth I would encourage you to, to come up and to meet with some of that we can get a group of people together and to pray for you and for for your situation can we do that today after the service. Um, uh, just a reminder too of some of the things uh, that we have. Uh, certainly you're welcome to be lifting those things up. Uh, one of the things I'm trying to do is to be some more specific about some things that we we have going on in our lives. So I would encourage you during the week and, and that uh, anytime just to give me a call and, and we can update those those prayer needs that you have or, or something that you might have. We, we want to hear what you have to say are some things that are going on in your life, so we want to pr pray and, and lift them up before God in prayer. Um, so um, I, I, I've been thinking about this week, because uh, uh, I had this, this experience at camp. Well, actually, we've been, we've been in this series. Uh, we've been looking at some of the names of the ways that God or the Bible talks about us as, as Christians, and, and so we've looked at the fact that we were children of God, that we're, that we're holy. Um, that's always a... A, a tough one to, to talk about as uh, you know we we look at our um, the definition of holy and most of us kind of would step back and say well that doesn't really describe me but that's what he says uh, the Bible says that we are if we are in Christ we are holy and again you know talking about the sufficiency of Christ the fact that he says we're holy it's really not about us it's really about what he's done that makes us holy um, we're children of God and there's a number of of, of things that we've talked about that really uh, describe what the Christian is like in that, and and, and it got me to thinking. There's a couple of, couple of weeks back here, as you know, I was at uh, Christian Harbor Youth Camp, and and uh, one of the students in my family group there at Christian Harbor, um, at the camp there, asked me a question that I, I think that many of us have pondered maybe over over the years. Uh, you've thought about you've maybe maybe it's not a, a terribly uh, uh, maybe it's not bothered you or anything else, but um, I've been asked this question before many times, and the question is, what did Jesus look like? What did he look like? And I got to thinking about that and, and wondering what in the world he might have looked, you know, um, have appeared to be like. And, and uh, in, in fact, I was, I, I was thinking back and kind of reflecting upon when I first went into Bible college and, and, and just listening to one of my professors who was like describing what, what our own idea, I was actually going to put up a couple of images and... Um, I was going to put up a couple of images of what that might look like, uh, of that 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 there are out there some that are fairly familiar with you to you. Um, but anyway, my professor kind of started to share some of the things, and you're like, it wasn't really the image that I had of what I'd seen all my life that I saw on on a wall, and uh, you know, I, I don't see the ones we have around here. But anyway, um, so I did what any self-respecting 21st century person would do. I googled it. 
because I wanted to figure out what, what Jesus really looked like. Um, believe it or not, I got somewhere. Now, not all these were the some of these were the same, but the hit was like 47 million results. Okay, so I guess what that tells me is is that um, well, and actually, only a half dozen of those were ones that I would actually recognize. Okay, of what he might have looked at. So I guess what that tells us obviously is that we really don't know what Jesus looked like. We don't really know a great deal about that. Uh, Middle Eastern for sure. Okay, so that would mean that he had probably some olive skin. Um, probably dark-haired. Um, some have speculated, though I, you know, I'm not sure if this is an educated guess or not, but as I was looking at a number of websites and things, they've, they've estimated that Jesus was probably about 5 foot 5 or 5 foot 6 inches tall. Again, not sure if that's an educated guess or not. That's shorter than me. Um, that's about Mike's size. Um, I, I would say, um, I would guess he was a man's man. I mean, after all, this was a carpenter. Uh, he was a guy who worked in the carpenter shop, and, and he had, had to labor for his living. Probably calloused hands, probably broad shoulders. Um, that's just my own guess of things. Now, the only text that I know of that says anything about where what he might have looked like comes from Isaiah chapter 53, where we are told that he had no particular beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that, that, that would uh, make us desire him. Uh, apparently, there was nothing about his physical nature that caused people necessarily to be drawn to him. And, and yet, you can't read your Bible and not be confronted with the very fact that this, uh, of this image, that people were attracted to Jesus. Everywhere he went, he drew crowds. And so I wanted to ask that question again. What was there about him? What, what was it that caused him to draw crowds? What was there in his life? I mean, obviously, outside of his physical appearance, what was there that caused people to want to be in the presence of Jesus? I wrestled with some of that, and I asked myself this question this week. What did he look like? And if you'll allow me, I'm just going to spend some time, just a little bit of time, walking through some gospel texts that might give us at least some sort of a hint at what Jesus might have looked like. For example, I believe that Jesus demonstrated a worshipful heart. I believe that he had demonstrated a worshipful heart. So this, this one, this, this Son of God, spent time, who spent time in the very presence of God, he did so purposefully. If you look at the book of Luke, in particular, the, the book of Luke, you see that probably as much you see that probably as much as you do in, in any of the other gospels. But in chapter four, for example, Luke chapter four, verse sixteen, it says, you know, that this is early in, in, in his in life of Jesus. He's returning back to his hometown, Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. So it says in verse sixteen, he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. On the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue. I want you to note Luke's comment. And it says, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue as was his custom. He was, this, he was a person who worshipped. He was a worshipping person. You know, when, when Saturday rolled around, you, you knew where you could find Jesus. He was going to be in the synagogue because that's where everybody, every good worshipping Jew would, would be found. And that's where he would be. And, and that's where you would find him. So... 
You look at chapter 5 of Luke's gospel, you get this rather subtle comment about his life. In verse number 15, it says this, Yet the news spread about him, the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He was a worshiping person. He knew that he needed to be in the presence of God with regularity. In fact, you can't look at Luke chapter 6. Uh, you can look at Luke chapter 6. You can look at Luke chapter 9. You can look at Luke chapter 11. And you would find the same basic comments. In fact, the, the Sunday school lesson we were talking about with the kids this morning is, in, in, is one where he was uh, choosing his disciples. He, he withdrew and he spent all night in prayer to make that decision, to make that choice. Jesus withdrew to lonely places to pray. He was a worshiping person. Well, I think he also possessed a submissive spirit. I, I think that that's one of the characteristics of, of his nature. He was, he was submissive to the Father. If you look back at the end of the book, end of, the book of Luke, this is a passage of, of which, with which most of us, I think, are, have been familiar with over the years because it's such a striking passage. But late in the life of Jesus, coming to those final days and hours, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling with his own life. Am I going to die for these people Israel or not. And so you come to chapter 2 and verse 42, and here's what it says. It says that he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, and here's what he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I mean, there's this, there's this submissive spirit. This isn't necessarily what I want to do, but I will do this if this is your, if this is your will. In fact, it's, it's interesting when you turn later to in, the, in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, you find the statement that Jesus learned obedience, and, and one of the contexts in which he learned obedience was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he learned to have this submissive spirit before God. It, 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 was, it was not something that he was born with. It was something that developed in his life as he related to the Father, to God the Father. And so he had a worshipful heart. He had a submissive spirit. I think also he, he, was a, he is epitomized by a godly character. Now that shouldn't strike any of us, uh, us as odd. I mean, it, this is, after all, God in the flesh, right? This is, after all, the Son of God. This is the one who came as God incarnate. We would expect him wouldn't we, to have godly character? In fact, when the disciples are wrestling with the nature of Jesus themselves, they say, just show us God, right? When they're wrestling with all that, they say, just, just show us God then. Just bring, it, bring him to us or show us what he looks like. And, 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 and Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen what? You've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Just take a look at me. Now, that's a pretty strong statement for anyone to make, I think, and yet 
here Jesus is making the kind of comment, and frankly, if you, if you begin uh, in, in, in Matthew chapter 1 and you read those four Gospels through the end of the Gospel of John, what I think you will discover is that an absolute consistency of character. Jesus was always the same. In fact, the book of Hebrews will say later on that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This one had the integrity to be consistent in his life, in his living. He demonstrated for us what it means to have godly character. And not only that, but he lived a holy life. He lived a holy life. There's, there's a couple of different ways that you might look at that, 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 that holy living, that kind of character that demonstrates itself in life. Uh, the book of Hebrews reminds us of, uh, over in chapter 4, reminds us of one of those ways of looking at holiness. Holiness probably in the sense that most of us think of, what, of, of holiness uh, of life. But it's a purity issue. When we think about being holy, we think about being pure, being 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 whole it's it, it's a, it's it's how you conduct yourself in a way that that you don't sin for example or that you live in a way that that people can appreciate and so when you come to Hebrews chapter 4 and in talking about Jesus this high priest here's what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 14 he says therefore since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. This one who came and lived among us as a human being, God incarnate in, in flesh with us, experienced every temptation that you and I experienced. And the temptations that you and I never thought of experiencing, because he could be tempted with, he could be tempted about goodness, and and we can't. And yet he never sinned. In fact, Paul would say to the Corinthians in the second letter that this one who knew no sin became sin for us. What a remarkable statement about life. If you look at Jesus you would have seen consistent living in a way in which he never failed in his relationship to God, with God. But I think there's another way to look at holiness. And holiness has much more to do with, with more than just, just purity. Holiness has to do with having been set apart, having a special purpose, and he demonstrates that as well. If you remember back when he was a child, uh, of 12 years old. Uh, he decided to stay back in Jerusalem. His, his parents are on the way home and they discover that he's missing and they go back to, to look for him. And where do they find him? They find him in the temple discussing things with all of the leaders, talking to the religious leaders. Do you, do you remember the remark that Jesus makes? His parents say, well, you know, where were you? We looked for you. We kind of went away and you weren't with the family. We had to come back and get you. And what, did, and what does Jesus say? Well, what did you expect? I had to be about my father's business. He's set apart for a particular reason, and that's what he has dedicated himself to, and is being the person that God has called him to be. Well, what did he look like? Well, he looked like one with a worshipful heart, one with a submissive spirit. 
one with a godly character, one with a holy life. And frankly, he displayed a, displayed a loving demeanor. This is a man that, that people long to bring their children to. That, that's a, an image that's in, incredible. But other people didn't necessarily want them to bring the children. I mean, if you remember, the disciples thought that that seemed kind of a little menial for, for Jesus to have children around, and yet Jesus said, no, don't stop them. Bring these children to me. That, it, he had that kind of loving demeanor that attracted the children. That's, there's an interesting remark that's made in Matthew chapter 12 about Jesus. It's one of those comments that has a, kind of a, it's, an, it's like an enigma. It's, it, it's, it has just a bit of a mystery to it. You, you look at it and you wonder, what in the world is he saying? And, and, and yet, here we have this conversation about Jesus, and they quote Isaiah in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, and it says this in, in, in this context. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I mean, do you hear the gentle spirit there? That the, the bruised reed he will not break and the smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He has this gentleness about him that, that never seeks to take advantage of the weak or to harm the ones who have already been harmed. And not only that, Jesus also possessed a servant attitude. You remember that servant attitude, don't you? I don't have any doubt that this text is really familiar with you, to you. John chapter 13, the disciples have gathered for the Last Supper. Everybody in the room is gathering all around wanting to know who's the greatest, who gets to be the great one, who gets the high seat, the one of authority, who gets to sit where, can I sit at the most prominent place. The one thing, of course, that everybody forgot was that nobody bothered to wash their dirty, stinky, smelly feet when they came in. And so Jesus, it says, got up and took off his garment, wrapped a towel around himself, went over, went around the room, stooped down, and began to wash everyone's dirty, stinky, and dirty and stinky feet. And he said, this I have done for you. Go ahead and do like this. You do this for others as well. There's something about washing that reminds us that, that, that there's, a, there's a humility here, a servant-type spirit in the life of Jesus. And yet, it's not just that he had this servant attitude, this servant spirit. He also just revealed this generosity, this, this generous spirit. It's not just that he would bow to the feet of people and wash their feet. It was that he would give of himself at any time, under any circumstance, to help those who were in need. Do you remember back in the Gospel of Mark, which we looked at just a short while ago, we went through a series in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, though, there's this crowded day in the life of Jesus. He's left the synagogue. He's gone to Simon's house. Uh, and there's this huge crowd that, that begins to gather. And, and in verse number 32, it says that that evening after sunset, meaning that, you know, it, I mean, it's the, after the sun has gone down, it's after the day is long over, after the hard work is done, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and all this demon possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many that had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. But then in verse number 35, check this out. 
Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And suddenly, here they come. They're clamoring. They're finding, any, finding him again, saying, you know, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. And, and it doesn't seem to matter to him. If they needed him, he was there. Even as he journeyed to heal one's man difficulty, another person comes up to inter- interrupt him, and, and, and he has the time. Remember the, the, the woman with the issue of bleeding, and all of a sudden it's like, who touched me? He's on his way somewhere else, and it's like, who touched me? He's, he, he, he has the time to stop and to focus and to, to bring that. It's this generous spirit. Chapter 1 of Mark, verse 41, a, a few verses later, after this leper comes, and, and no one would have anything to do with a leper, the leper says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he says, I am willing. Be clean. But that's, that's his nature, to be generous with himself. He, pr- he practiced a compassionate outreach. Uh, one of the things I think that's interesting about the gospel is that, that there's a number of, of, of uh, occasions. One sample is uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse number 13. He, he worked upon the crowds and, or looked upon the crowds and he was moved with compassion. That, 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 that's really a common statement about, about Jesus, uh, to, to be moved with compassion, to have this heart stirred within him because he has this sense that people need him. Uh, it's interesting to read through the Gospels. Just you know, take some time in, in, in your journey and walk with Jesus for a, little bit while, for a little while. And the next thing that you know, you will find yourself discovering repeatedly this is always amazing to me, that, that sinners feel comfortable. They feel extremely comfortable in the presence of Jesus. You ever thought about that? Prostitutes came out of the dark corners of their hiding to wash his feet, to cry on his feet, to dry his feet with their hair. Lepers came out of those dark, shadowed streets where they would hide and you know, they'd have to cry, leper, leper, you know whenever anybody was near, and and, and they would come out into the public daylight in order to be in the presence of Jesus. And they found that to be okay. There was something about him that allowed those who were uncomfortable with everybody else to be comfortable with him. He engaged in edifying relationships. He built people up. You remember Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus? That wee little man who wanted to see Jesus, but, but he couldn't get to the front of the street. And, and, and you know, the, the, the problem was being short is that you depend upon other people to get you to the front of the line, right? To want to see anything. And the problem with this tax collector was nobody would make room for him to get to the front. And so he climbs this tree. And yet you remember the story. Jesus didn't leave him in that tree. He took him home, had lunch with him. He turned this person, this hated, this this person who was hated, this tax collector, he turned him into a disciple. That's what he did with people. He built them up whenever you came out of a relationship. And so whenever you came out of a relationship with Jesus, you came out better than when you went in. He modeled an equipping leadership. 
Mark chapter 6, he tells us that he gave the disciples this ability to, to cast out demons. And, and then he sent them out, out on their way to preach. Repeatedly, he empowers the disciples to do the job that they've been told to do. In Matthew chapter 16, they are given the ability to forgive other people. They are given the keys to the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 28, it's the disciples who are told to go out and to preach the gospel to all nations. He, he empowered them to do the very thing that they have been called to do. He equipped them for ministry. That's a number, that's a long list. When you think about what the Bible has to say about what Jesus looks like. And so I, keep, I, I just keep asking myself, what in fact did Jesus look like? And, and I, I'm just here to tell you this morning, physically, I have no idea. I don't know, any of you have an idea what he looked like? Physically? But you know what? I do have a pretty good idea of what Jesus looked like. Because the goal of discipleship is for Christ to be formed in us. The goal of discipleship is for Christ to be formed in us that we would begin to look a lot like Jesus. See, that is the nature of what it means to spend time with Him, to be on a journey with Him. We're on this traveling road and we're getting acquainted with Christ in a way that, that begins to shape our character and, and transforms us into the people who, who look a lot like Jesus. I mean, if re people really did succeed at spending time with Christ and He succeeded in transformation, what would we look like? We would look like that list that we just went through. That exact list would describe the people at New Life Christian Church. They would be people who were godly. They would be people who had holiness. They would be people who were compassionate. They would be people who, who were humble in their service and people who cared for, for people. It, it matters how we live. It's how we live that really matters. It really is. And I'm, I'm reminded of, of, of texts that say things like this. Well, Paul says this is his ministry goal, and he says to present every man and to present every woman perfect in Jesus Christ, to, to, to present them whole and to present them complete and to present them mature in Jesus. Or, or I think of Paul's statement to the Romans in the context of, of what it means to have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And he says, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Or he says in the context of Moses, Moses having come down off of the mountains, having spent time in the presence of God, literally reflecting the glory of God, he says about us, he says, we also will reflect his glory as we are transformed into his image. John could say that at the end of, the, of, of time when Jesus returns. We may not even yet know exactly what he looks like, but then we will see him exactly like he is. And guess who, he will, who will look like him? We will. Because we will have spent time with him. We will spend on this journey with him. And you know, you just cannot... Spend your life with somebody and not end up looking like them. Just a little bit. You ever notice that? I always thought it was kind of scary. 
and look at these couples that have been married 50 years or more, 40 years maybe, I don't know. And it's almost like you can pick them out in the crowd and say, you know what, he goes with her. They kind of look like each other, right? I, I don't know if there's anything physically true about that or not, but there is something about spending time with other people that the, that, that the next thing that you know is that you just look a lot like them. And when you spend a lot of time with Jesus, when you spend time with him in Bible study, when you spend time with him in, in worship, when you spend time with him, you know, I don't know, just uh, in conversations over coffee, wherever it happens to be, you are going to end up looking a lot like him. And see, that's our goal, is to look a lot like him. And, I, and part of what I'm saying here is today is, is for, for us at New Life, when I see the things that Jesus, the, the characteristics of Jesus, and when I see what, I, what he was like, I see a lot of those characteristics in you in your generosity and your compassion and, your, and the way that you want to help and the way you encourage and the way you bring, all, all those care. I see that in new, at New Life Christian Church. And that's, that's, that's key. That's important. And so I guess I'll say to you what, you know, that's our goal is to look like him. So I guess I'll say to you what Jesus said to those early disciples in Mark chapter 1. Come follow me. Journey with him and let him transform your character. Let him transform your life. It's, it's a process that continues each and every day. And when we do that, he will give, he'll, he'll give you, you and I, he will give us a life that is worth living. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I'm reminded that uh, we, we don't necessarily know that what you may have looked like physically. But, by, Father, we see so many things in, in, in life of what you were like. And we talk about looking like Jesus a lot. In fact, part of our vision statement talks about looking like Jesus so other people will know exactly who you are. And, Father, I pray that for us... Uh, whether we're a part here of, of New Life Christian Church or if, if we're visiting today, that everywhere we go, that people could look out and they could say, you know what, that looks like somebody who follows Jesus. Now, God, that might not be a good, good, for, good thing for some people. They may see that as a threat. They may see that as something that is, is uh, cramping their style. But God, what, what a... What a great compliment. There's no greater compliment for, than for somebody to say, that person there looks a lot like the Master, looks a lot like Jesus Christ. May our lives, God, as we leave this place, um, may we be reminded, may others be reminded around us of who we belong to and who we're trying to follow. May our lives betray the very fact that our desire is to be like Jesus and to follow him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. And